So every great story has three things to it. Every great story has three things to it. There's a character that has to overcome some kind of obstacle in order to achieve a worthwhile goal. We've been doing this for thousands of years. This is how we've told stories and how we've lived stories for thousands of years. There's a character, there's an obstacle, and there's a worthwhile goal. And what you can do here, in order to make a great story, what you do is you make the obstacle greater so that the character has to become a greater character in order to overcome the obstacle still. And with that, the goal has to rise as well. We see this a lot in the, the plays that we watch and the stories that we read, the TV shows that we watch, and, and the movies we love. Um, I'm going to pick a few movie franchises here that um, I, I think do this well. Uh, the first one, greatest movie franchise of all time, best movie franchise of all time. Say it with me. One, two, three. Fast and Furious. You're right. Fast and Furious nails this, right? They made 10 of these. They made billions of dollars off of like 10 Fast and Furious movies. I love them. They're great, terrible movies. But they, they get the, the story arc pretty well, right? Like in the first one, the obstacle is they have to jump from one moving car to another. And, and they take the moving car like from one side of the semi to the other underneath, and you're like, oh, that's some pretty cool stunt work. All right? By like three and four, there's tanks involved, right? They're like chasing tanks. Uh, I'm pretty sure in like three or four, there's one where like the truck does a barrel roll off of a cliff and lands like on another truck below or like a train or something. And at some point, uh, you've got... Cars racing on top of the ice against a nuclear sub. These guys are great. I'm pretty sure in the last one there are cars in space. I haven't seen it yet. It's on my to-see list. But I'm pretty sure the last Fast and Furious movie, there, I kid you not, they're like, what well, have we done? Cars in space. Let's go. That's all we got left. Like just, I, I feel like they sit there, like if there's like a control board for a story, and they just go, like, what should the obstacle be? I don't know, all of them. Just dial it up. And, of course, the characters get bigger. There's more and more people. And then, but the goal remains the same, family. Uh, yeah, if you've seen Fast and the Furious, you know that joke. Um, no, but we do this in a lot of great, a lot of great uh, movie franchises. Uh, Lord of the Rings does this, right? Lord of the Rings, it's Frodo and his crew, the characters. They have tons of obstacles that they have to overcome in order to get the ring into the volcano so they can save 50 cents on a loaf of bread at the Shire. No, like the goal, had, no, it's for all of Middle Earth, right? Like everything has to kind of correspond. If you want to make Lord of the Rings a terrible movie, just have the eagles that fly Frodo at the end, just have them pick them up at the beginning, drop the ring off in the volcano, done, 
45 seconds, terrible movie, right? But we see the character development through the whole movie, all the obstacles they have to overcome, will they make it, yada, yada, yada. Avengers does this pretty well. They figured out, you know, hero development and all that. Uh, in the first movie, who does Iron Man fight? Iron Man fights the CEO of his company. He fights his boss, which is a pretty good, pretty solid start for some of us. Like we can identify. We're like, yes, they're on to something. <laughs> I'm not. I thought that movie was terrible. Um, no, Iron Man fights the CEO in the first one. And then over the course of 20 movies, they add more characters. There's more development. And by the time Endgame comes around, it's Iron Man and all of his Avengers crew, and they're fighting Thanos so that literally half of the population of the universe doesn't get wiped up, wiped out, right? Like the, the obstacles, the goals get bigger. Last one, uh, Twilight. Oh, you're going to hate this. <laughs> Twilight, right? It starts off, there's one guy, and oh, no, will they make it? And then there's two guys. Oh, no, which one? I fell asleep after that. I don't know how it ends. I'm sure there's a great development, though, because they made a ton of those movies. I'm sure there's solid development, solid um, objectives that they have to, and I'm sure the goal is totally worthwhile. Um, but I fell asleep. We're, uh, I'm, I'm, you know what? I know this is going to be the sermon I get the most email response on, uh, just for that last two minutes. Um, yeah, so we, when we're, the, the thing that happens with these movies, though, and th this is true, when you're a storyteller, when you're writing these stories, when you're writing these plays, the novels, um, the movies, one of the questions that the authors or the writing team will ask, one of the first questions that they'll ask is, what is this character going to be asked to do in this story? What is this character going to be asked to do in this story? And, and today, as we continue our series, uh, Not So Superheroes, we're talking about characters in the Bible that have a major impact, even if their, their role might be small, they have a major impact. And we're talking about Titus today. Titus is one of those characters uh, who has changed the shape of the, uh, of the, changed the landscape of the history of the world when it comes to, especially when it comes to the context of the church, doesn't get a lot of screen time here. And so one of the questions that I want to pull from the study of Titus today it is a question I want us to have in the back of our, our minds as we go through this. What has God asked you to do lately? What has God tasked you to do recently? And, and I think that's an important pull away uh, from Titus as we look at his story. Uh, because the thing about the book of Titus the book of Titus is a letter that Paul, his mentor, wrote to Titus. And it doesn't actually say a lot about Titus in there. And like Paul doesn't go off on a ton of descriptors in the letter to him. But from looking at the tasks, looking at the challenges that Paul gives Titus in this letter, we can tell a lot 
about who the character that Titus is. So we can learn a lot about a person by what they have been asked to do. If we're going to give Titus a superhero name, uh, or a not-so-superhero name, I'm going to call Titus Mr. Fix-It. Titus is essentially asked to go in and take care of a church situation on the island of Crete. And and a little bit about Titus, and, and some of this is things that we know from just from history in general. Some of these are kind of gathered from Scripture that we see early on. Titus's name is, is sprinkled throughout the New Testament, especially when it comes to Paul's missionary journeys. Um, Titus is from the island of Crete. If you've ever heard of the term Cretans as a slur or not a term of endearment, it's based on the Isle of Crete. And the people there at this time were known to be liars, thieves, full of deceit, uh, drunkards, all kinds of terrible people. In fact, there was a phrase, I'm going to butcher this phrase, uh, but there was a phrase around at the time, Cretan de Cretan. And it basically meant, if someone's a liar, it's okay to lie to them. And they used Cretans as the basis for that. And, And so Titus comes from the island of Crete. He is a Gentile convert, and here's what that means. Um, in the early church, you had the people of Israel, the Jewish culture, who grew up under Jewish law, Jewish tradition, that became Christians, and they would take parts of their worship and the traditions and their customs, etc., and they would bring that into the churches that were being started up, right? So they're bringing their culture, they're bringing a thousand years of history, law, etc., into the church and saying, this is what the new church should be like. And the Gentiles, on the other hand, Gentiles were everybody else. Gentiles were Greek, Roman, whatever, typically polytheistic. And so the Gentile believers would take their traditions, their history, their culture, and they would bring that to the new church. And this may surprise you, but church conflict happens, right? People bring their traditions in, and their baggage in, and their history in, and their stories in, and and we're all supposed to work together. I don't know if that rings a bell with anybody, but it's been happening for a while. There's a significant part of the New Testament dedicated to churches getting along. And so what we know from Titus, we know that Titus was one of these Gentile converts. So the fact that he's traveling with Paul, who comes from a Jewish background, speaks to the testimony of what they're doing here in God's name. It speaks to the testament of the church that they're building. We know that Titus traveled with Paul on several missionary trips all around the Mediterranean. And we know that over time, Titus was tasked with difficult uh, goals. Titus was tasked with difficult things that Paul asked him to do 
to help move the church forward. So before we get to the book of Titus, let's do a little, we can do a little bit of digging uh, before then. Let's open up to Galatians chapter 2. We'll go through and do a little bit of digging on, on scripture, on Titus here. Galatians chapter 2, this is Paul speaking. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So plainly speaking, the church is arguing over the role of circumcision and who's allowed to be part of the church. It's a custom that comes from the Jewish culture. It's not a custom that the Greek culture is a part of. And so as they're building the new church, these false prophets are saying, no, you have to abide by our old customs. And the Greeks are saying, no, we're not having it. And so this has become a point of conflict in the church. That's why Paul is writing this letter. That's what Paul is doing as he's spending his time as a missionary, going back around to a lot of these churches that he's started, is saying, look, you guys are feuding over this. It's not going to happen. You're taking away from the point of the church. And so there's turmoil over this issue, especially over the issue of circumcision, who's allowed into the church and, uh, and who's allowed to lead the church. And what we see from Titus here, there's a couple things to notice from Titus here. First of all, he doesn't give in. Scripture says he doesn't give in, which means he's keeping a level attitude about this. He's not getting caught up in the fight. He's not bowing into pressure from the other side. He knows what they're trying to build. He knows who God has called. And so he's not going to fall into the temptation of getting caught up in that argument. He follows Paul's lead and he doesn't cave in. And that tells us a lot about who Titus is, something else to gather from this. It gives him a front row seat on how this particular church conflict is handled. Titus is there riding shotgun with Paul, and he can see how Paul deals with this difficult, difficult topic in the church that's potentially splitting a church. And so Titus gets to ride along. Uh, let's fast forward to uh, 2 Corinthians. There's several times that Titus is mentioned uh, in Paul's uh, letter to Corinth. Uh, early on, most uh, will be in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Early on, most of the mentions of Titus revolve around Paul feeling comforted that Titus is there now. So Titus is somebody who brings comfort to Paul 
just by his presence. That says a lot right there about who he is. Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians. Let's go to uh, chapter 8, verse 16. Thanks be to God who puts into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, we'll talk about that appeal in a second, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. Here's what the appeal was. Paul had appealed to the churches kind of outside of Jerusalem, outside of the Israel area. Paul had appealed to those churches to collect an offering for the church in Jerusalem, which is a pretty monumental task. You're talking about people in the Roman Empire, Greeks, etc., collecting money as the churches for the benefit of the Christians in Jerusalem, right? Which is a pretty heavy task. That's a pretty big deal. You're talking a lot about a, about a lot of different cultures. You're talking a lot about a, about a lot of different backgrounds, and you're talking about money, which is always a difficult subject, right? And so the appeal has been given out to raise money for the church in Jerusalem, and that's what the churches have done, and they've done so in an overwhelming way, Paul says early on. And so Titus steps up and says, I will take the money to the church in Jerusalem, right? So Titus is taking on this giant task here because this is a big deal. This is a lot of people's money. And if you think about this in the context of the times, travel is not safe, right? You're, you're talking about somebody from Crete visiting Israel, right? And, and you're talking about carrying a lot of people's money with them. And so this isn't a task that's just entrusted to everyone. This is a massive deal. This is a huge step forward for Titus in his role as and being a leader. And Paul has trusted him with this giant task. And it's important too. This isn't just something Paul's like, oh yeah, why don't you run to the store for me? Right? This isn't like when you get your license and you spend like 90% of your time, like first month driving, going to the store for your mom. This is, um, that's important, but this is a massive deal. We're talking about traveling across countries with other people's money that a church is going to be relying on. And Paul, who cares about this church, who dedicates his life to the mission of building these churches, hands this task over to Titus. So, when we get to the book of Titus and the tasks that are asked of him make a little bit more sense. Why is Titus receiving this? So let's, let's open up our Bibles to Titus. It's in the back. It's three chapters long. It's really easy to miss. I encourage you to read it. You can read it today. If you go to the wrong restaurant, you can probably read it before you get your food. Uh, it's three chapters long. Uh, a lot of times when we use Titus, we use it as a backup for Timothy, for 
um, leadership roles in the church and kind of how to behave. And that's what a lot of the letter includes. But what I want to pick out for today is I want to pick out what Paul is asking Titus to do here in the letter that he wrote to him. So let's start off. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 5. This is Paul speaking to Titus. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So what had happened, they'd gone to the island of Crete. Paul and his crew, including Titus, had established several churches around the island And something came up with other churches elsewhere that Paul needed to address. So his presence was needed elsewhere. So Paul, who's dedicated his life as a missionary, says, Titus, I want you to do this. The first task that he gives Titus, I want you to establish order here on Crete in the churches. And he goes on and he tells him what that order looks like. Titus 1, verse 10, second task here. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So once again, this issue, this cultural issue has come in to the church, and we have people trying to take over the church with laws that no longer apply. And so Paul's task to Titus here, it should sound really familiar because it's what Titus has already seen in action, right? And you can imagine Titus going, why am I here watching this church argue? Well, fast forward a few years, what's the exact argument that Paul sends Titus in to squash? It's the same one. So far, Paul has asked Titus to establish order, and to silence deceit. These guys are trying to split a church for their own profit. Would never happen today. Just kidding. Right? Church issues still go on. And this is who Titus is called in. It's issues we've been dealing with for a long time. And so for some of us, we know what kind of person that takes to be called in to handle this kind of monumental task. But that's not all. Let's get to chapter 2. Now, chapter 2. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith and love and in endurance. And he goes on and he gives words for how older women are to live, how younger women are to live, how younger men are to live, and even addresses slaves. 
and he gives words on how slaves are called to live, which I know is a difficult topic for us, but even in the midst of this, this is what Paul gives. Uh, the, what, what the call is for Titus to give to the slaves. Show that you can be trusted. It says, obey your masters. Show your tr- that you can be trusted so that the teaching of our God will be attractive. That's a difficult message to give. There's different types of slaves. There's slaves by choice. There's slaves by indebtedness. There's slaves by genealogy. But that's a difficult message to give. It's difficult to give today. Imagine it's difficult to give back then. And yet again, this is given to Titus. This is the role given to Titus. We have established order. We have silence, deceit. Teach people the way to live. So not only do we want you to, to squash this over here, we want you to teach as well. We want you to put an end to this and then make a transition to teaching. And it's important, I want to come back to that in just a second, because it says a lot about the personality of who Titus is. And last, here's the super easy one. You guys ready for the easy task? Uh, Verse 3, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. Super easy, right? Titus has to go back to his own people on Crete who live under Roman rule and talk to them about what it means to live under authority as a Christian. And what it means and how we're called to treat people when we call ourselves Christians. The last task he's given, he's invited to talk to the people about being obedient to rulers and authority and live peacefully. And I would argue that any one of those tasks on its own would be a full-time job. Any one of those tasks would be something difficult that would take a ton of prayer, a ton of heartache, a ton of hard work, and a ton of faith in the Lord and knowing that you're doing the right thing. Titus has been given all four of these. So let's do this. Let's call this a monumental task. Or let's call it impossible. Titus has been asked to do the impossible. So now the question becomes, what do these tasks tell us about Titus? First of all, this is what I'm pulling from this. You guys are invited. If you see other things out there, feel free to let us know. Put it out on social media in response or whatever. These are a handful of things that I've pulled out of what I see in Titus based on the questions that are, or based on the tasks that are given to him. First of all, Titus is trusted. He's trustworthy. He's traveled with Paul long enough that Paul is handing him the keys to his ministry. They've been together enough that he knows Titus well enough to say, 
you can handle this. And here's the thing. Um, we all know people that make our lives a lot easier. We also know people that make our lives a lot more stressful, right? Can I get an amen on that? Right. Has anybody ever, like, looked at their phone and go, oh, man, my day is about to get a lot more crazy, right? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. Raise your hand if that person's sitting next to you. No, don't. That's a, that's a bad idea. No, right? Like, you do this on your phone. You see somebody calling and go, my day is about to get more difficult, right? Or you see people on your phone and you're like, oh, please, I hope they pick up. It's going to help out so much if they step up today, Right? What type of people? What type of people are we around? What type of people are we? Well, Titus is a person, when you see the name pop up on that phone, you go, I know I can hand things off for this person and it's going to be taken care of. It's going to get done. It's going to get done well. And I can trust this person with it. What I see about Titus, what I like about Titus, he's an organizer. He, he's being called to establish order, right? And there's certain personality types that you don't send in there, right? There's certain personality types, and uh, that's not the person you want to put in charge of putting people in charge. But Titus is that guy. Titus is an organizer. And you can imagine the difficulty in the culture that he's working in, right? The difficulty of the arguments that he's having to deal with, that it's going to take a certain personality type to be the organizer right there. But Paul believes that Titus is the right person to establish order and to designate leaders. I also think Titus is a peacemaker. Y'all know some folks, you're not going to send them in to fix the family drama, right? You know, you know there's some folks, and you may be that person, it's all right, we love you too. Jesus died for you as well. But you may, may be that person where, like, if there's drama, you're gasoline. Right? And then there's other people that you know when they enter the room, they're going to resolve it. If there's fighting, their presence alone may put an end to the fighting, right? And that's what I see as Titus. Titus is not a hothead. Titus is not egotistical. Titus is a peacemaker. And we know what Jesus said about peacemakers. They're blessed, right? So Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount <laughs> identified these people in our society, the peacemakers. And he said, these people are blessed. And I think one of the things that makes Titus a great peacemaker is early on we see he doesn't cave in. He doesn't give in to the stupid arguments. He doesn't get caught up in the weeds. He doesn't really care what the argument is. It's, I'm here to speak truth and fix this, right? I'm Mr. Fix-It. The discussion's over. Here's what we're doing. Let's go. And let's bring in, and part of being a peacemaker is having that ability to speak truth in a way that others will follow and listen. So I think Titus is a peacemaker. He's not prone to get in the weeds on stupid arguments about stupid stuff or bother with details, say, this is the mission, let's go. 
And I think that's how he brings about peace. Uh, last, not least, I think Titus is a problem solver. I think he has the right personality to solve this type of problem. This is a massive, multi-tiered obstacle with a myriad of implications and nuance. You're talking about different cultures. You're talking about different rules, different traditions with different people and different backgrounds. Some have been in the word in the wild. Some hadn't. Some were new. And all these things that he, all these people that Titus is kind of trying to weave together in the name of the church, that's a large problem to solve. And there's certain people out there that are problem solvers. There's problem causers. Those are fun. There's problem solvers. Titus is a problem solver. He's trust, he's trustworthy, he's an organizer, he's a peacemaker, and he's a problem solver. And if there's anything you want to add to that that you see that blesses you or encourages you or challenges you, I encourage you to read through Titus and take those notes as well. What do you see? Let's personalize this. Let's, let's, let's close this out, kind of personalizing this with a charge for us. We've talked about the tasks that were given to Titus and what that says about him. What do the difficulties that we face say about us? Let me repeat that. What do the difficulties we face say about us? How many of us have had difficulties lately, right? You can raise your hand. It's okay. It's a safe place, right? We've gone through some stuff. <clears throat> what does that say about you that God would say, this person has this obstacle in front of them? What does it say about our personality? the difficulties, the, the obstacles that we have in front of us. What does it say about our temperament, right? Are we cool-headed? Are we level-headed? Are we hot-headed? Well, some of the difficulties placed in front of us may be because the things that we've been asked to do may be because of our temperament. Or maybe we're not asked to do that difficult thing because of our temperament because of our personality, our follow-through. There's a ton of things that we can add to this. So feel free to add your own. What I look about this and I say, what do the difficulties we face say about us? Well, there's some things I'm fine with. I'm, not, I'm fine with not being asked to do. And my sister, she's the, um, the finance guru, the, the numbers person in our family. I'm the art kid in our family. Um, yeah. If you called our family and wanted your company audited on the best way to save some money, I couldn't even get the Excel sheet going for you. I'm fine with that. That task is not going to be asked of me, right? Now, if you want some cool paintings to hang up in your office, I'm your guy. My sister would be terrified, right? So we have different personalities. We have different giftings, and that's an important part of understanding the importance of the questions that are being asked of us, right? We have different temperaments, so I want to I give us space 
to understand that each of us is different. And so those difficulties that come, that are given to us or allowed to be presented in front of us may be a little different. And our expectation of how to respond may be a little different. But nonetheless, God allows these obstacles, God allows these difficulties, and I'm going to go out and I'll say, God sometimes puts the obstacles and the difficulties in front of us so that our character may grow. And I know this isn't necessarily what our culture teaches, but I think the Jesus that I read of in the Bible, the Jesus that flips the kingdom upside down and says, well, you think things are this way, it's actually this way. You think first is great, actually first you're going to be last, and last you're going to be first. I think that goes right in line with what we can pull from Titus here when we say maybe instead of complaining about the obstacles in front of us, Maybe instead of crying out to God, God, why did you put this here? Maybe we say, thank you, God, for putting this obstacle here so that my character can grow. God, how are you calling me to change and grow because of this? Instead of blaming God and getting upset at God and wondering, oh, woe is me, saying, okay, there's a challenge in front. God sees me worthy of this challenge, what are we going to do together to get over this obstacle? What is God putting on the other side here that maybe I don't even see yet? Right? This is how we motivate. Guys, I've known too many people that look at the obstacle and just stop. I think God gives us these obstacles so that our character can grow. And I think that's exactly what happens in the book of Titus here. Titus has grown to a person who can take on monumental tasks. So I'm going to close out with this. What has God asked you to do lately? What has God asked you to do lately? If there's some kind of monumental task if there's some kind of impossible obstacle in front of you, maybe it's time to thank God for that and to take pride in knowing that God felt comfortable putting that in front of you. On the flip side of that, if you're sitting around going, well, God hasn't asked me to do anything difficult in a while, if you've been speaking like our culture speaks, like our culture values comfort, like pretty much everything we chase after in our culture results in comfort, right? That's like the ultimate desire. I just want to be comfortable. If we've been comfortable for way too long, maybe it's time to go join Paul on a missionary journey. Start building up some cred. If you've been sitting on the sidelines, if you've been sitting on the couch for too long, maybe it's time to stand up and to get into the story and see what kind of difficult task that you can take on. Here's a really cool thing from Titus. Remember, he chose to go to Jerusalem. He volunteered. Maybe we don't even have to wait for God to give us the obstacle. Maybe we stand up and say, God, I need a challenge in my life to take on so that I can grow. 
And that's the question I want, us to, I want to leave us with today. What has God asked you to do lately? We're going to turn to a time of communion. It's a blessed time that we get to celebrate together weekly. Uh, if you didn't get communion on the way in, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will help you out. The ultimate task given. And Christ being asked to die on the cross for all of our sins, right? And Christ's character was built up over years, over his time in ministry. He had a great start with his heritage and who, he's, who he is and who he's from. He knew exactly who he was. And he took on the single greatest act of man ever, that has ever occurred. He died for our sins. He conquered death. And he lives as our risen Savior. His character rose over the obstacle that was presented to him, put in front of him, and we all get to share in the glory of him achieving that goal of giving us a way to commune with God for eternity. So let's pray and thank our Lord for that. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his character. We thank you for the way that you rose him up, God, to overcome death, to overcome our sins. And God, as we celebrate his broken body and his blood on the cross, we, we, we remember that sacrifice. We remember who he was, who he is, and God, and what he means to us still. And God, I pray that we would keep asking every day for him to be present in our life, God, to call us forward into the next obstacle, into the next challenge, just like you. In your son's holy name we pray.